This is the Living Prophets Podcast, and I'm your host, Mark Maxmeister. In this episode, we talk about the Declaration of Interdependence. I had been writing this episode for a while, but I'm having to rewrite it because this week we saw the death of an unarmed black man in Minneapolis, and in the days that ensued, riots in Los Angeles, Minneapolis, St. Paul, Nashville, and probably some other places by the time you hear this, people are angry. They're also anxious, fearful. Our world doesn't provide good examples of leaders demonstrating what leadership is. That's not just standing in front of a podium, but it's being an example and speaking up for the things that matter to people. I know it's not easy, but those good leaders have to balance the economy, the health of everyone, protecting the vulnerable, and addressing decades, generations, centuries of mistreatment of marginalized people. But all of that is what feeds into this episode. So I'm going to share with you some people who are speaking about the need for us to think of each other as human beings. Try not to put each other into narrow boxes. Political groups, ethnic groups, national groups. Those are all just types of sectarianism. And you can just look at the Middle East and see how sectarianism corrupts and divides and destroys what people work together to build as communities. The opposite of sectarianism is a word I'll borrow from East Africa, harambe. Harambe means to get together as a community and pool our resources and put them towards the common good, to make sacrifices for the good of the community. And it's a very wholesome unifying act. Sectarianism is the opposite. Trying to get what's yours, trying to take what you deserve because you have some entitlement and privilege, and trying not to think about how what you feel you deserve takes away from what other people need. One person's desire to go walk out on the street and feel free during a pandemic is taking away the right to live from some other people if that person is a vector for a disease. We have a lot to learn as a community in this country about how to live together, how to coexist, how to undo the wrongs that have been done by our ancestors. Peace is not the absence of violence. Peace is the persistence of justice. The persistence of justice through a declaration of interdependence. The first person I'll share with you is Fred Smalls talking about this idea. And then after that, an episode from 1966, 60 Minutes, uh, interviewing Martin Luther King about how a riot is the language of the unheard. 
Interdependence means that there is no other, no them, by which to define us. Interdependence means that a human life in Wuhan is just as precious as a human life in Seattle or Boston. There may be opponents, but not enemies. Interdependence means seeing opponents as teachers and potential allies, even Republicans, if you're a Democrat, even Democrats, if you're a Republican. Because the person who opposes us on one issue may join with us on another. It means that we don't act just to protect our own health from the coronavirus, but we also do our utmost not to infect others. We don't just make sure that we're okay and our friends and family are okay. We make sure everyone's okay. Interdependence means that means and ends cannot be separated because what we do to another, we do to ourselves. When we're all in the same boat, torpedoes become weapons of suicide. The drone that kills one terrorist creates three more. Interdependence means we see ourselves reflected in the eye of the oppressed and the oppressor alike. Some of us would say we see God reflected there. Interdependence means that each and every one of us is immortal because the impressions we make on other people's souls ripple outward to infinity. Because everything is connected, we can never anticipate the impact our smallest gesture may have upon our family, our neighbors, and strangers. We may never know. A high school teacher says a kind word to a discouraged student, and instead of dropping out, she stays in school, graduates, and eventually becomes a teacher herself. A researcher toiling in a lab discovers that a plant extract has a unique property without any apparent benefit until another researcher on the other side of the planet realizes that that property is the missing piece in a cure for a deadly disease. A folk singer writes a song so inspiring it saves a life. The songwriter was Stan Rogers, best known for the Mary Ellen Carter a rousing ballad about a fishing boat sunk in a squall only to be raised from the sea bottom and salvaged by her determined crew. In the winter of 1983, a ship called the Marine Electric was carrying coal from Norfolk, Virginia to Somerset, Massachusetts when it ran into the worst storm in 40 years. Pounded relentlessly by gigantic waves and shrieking winds, the Marine Electric sank. Fifty-nine-year-old Bob Cusick, the ship's chief mate, made it clear of the wreck, but found himself all alone in the icy water, grasping a half-deflated lifeboat as waves crashed over him. Each time he went under, he wasn't sure he'd make it back to the surface. As hypothermia set in, all Bob really wanted was to let go, to let go of the lifeboat, and slip beneath the surface. But he remembered 
the Mary Ellen Carter. Rise again, rise again, though your heart it be broken or life about to end. No matter what you've lost, be it a home, a love, a friend, like the Mary Ellen Carter, rise again. Every time a wave broke over him, he'd hold his breath. And the wave had passed. When the wave passed, he'd sing again. Like the Mary Ellen Carter, rise again. Over and over and over. He kept singing. At seven o'clock in the morning, Bob was spotted by a Coast Guard helicopter and rescued. One of only two survivors among the 33 crewmen who went into the sea. When he'd recovered, Bob wrote a letter to Stan Rogers thanking him for the song that saved his life. At the folk singer's invitation, Bob joined Stan at Stan's next concert. It was the next to last concert Stan performed. A few weeks later, after headlining the Kerrville Folk Festival, Stan boarded an Air Canada flight in Dallas, bound for Montreal. When fire broke out on board, the airliner made an emergency landing in Cincinnati. As dense smoke filled the cabin, passengers were evacuated. Stan was near the front of the plane, and witnesses said he had a chance to get out, but stayed behind to help others. Within minutes after the doors were opened, the rush of fresh oxygen triggered a flash fire that raced through the cabin, killing all 23 passengers still on board. Stan Rogers among them. He was 33 years old. A song. A life saved when others died. A life lost when others survived. Lessons learned to save other lives. Ripples of care. Ripples of courage. Ripples of love. We never know the impact we have because we're all connected. We are never alone. Not now, not ever. We are part of one another, each of us in every one of us. Unity in diversity, diversity in unity. Todos juntos para siempre. One people, one spirit, one love. Sixty minutes. Rewind. Now what I'm saying is this. I would like for all of us to believe in nonviolence, but I'm here to say tonight that if every Negro in the United States turns against nonviolence, I'm going to stand up as a lone voice and say this is the wrong way. I will never change. Uh, in my basic idea that nonviolence is the most potent weapon 
available to the Negro in his struggle for freedom and justice. I think for the Negro to turn to violence would be both impractical and immoral. There is an increasingly vocal minority who disagree totally with your tactics, Dr. King. There's no doubt about that. I will agree that uh, there is a, a group in the Negro community advocating violence now. I think we've got to see that a riot is the language of the unheard. And what is it that America has failed to hear? It has failed to hear that the economic plight of the Negro poor has worsened over the last few years. How many summers like this one do you imagine that we can expect? Well, I would say this, we don't have long. The mood of the Negro community now is one of urgency, one of saying that we aren't gonna wait, that we've gotta have our freedom, we've waited too long. So that uh, I would say that every summer we are gonna have this kind of vigorous protest. My hope is that it will be nonviolent. I would hope that we can avoid riots because riots are self-defeating and socially destructive. I would hope that we can avoid riots, but that we will be as militant and as determined next summer and through the winter uh, as we have been this summer. And I think the answer about how long it will take will depend on the federal government, on the city halls of our various cities, and on white America to a large extent. This is where we are at this point, and I think white America will determine how long it will be and which way we go in the future. So what can we do to build that interdependence between different peoples? These are things that people of color want from their, quote, white allies. Respect us. Listen to us. Find out about us. Don't make assumptions. Stand by us. Think about what you have in terms of resources, time, talent, and treasure. Take some risks. Don't take it personally. Be authentic. Talk to people who are just like yourself. Interrupt jokes and comments that are perpetuating the wrong assumptions. Teach your children about racism. Speak up and speak out. Don't ask a person of color to speak for a whole people. You don't have to do it all alone. And you can't end racism or pandemic individually. But the person that you are is the person that you are being in all these situations. My friend Oscar Perry Abello is an economic journalist and I just saw that he sent out a long Twitter thread explaining all the different ways that people of color have been building a community, building interdependence, building the future that we all want. In his reaction to the riots of this week he wrote, black people are tired, they're hurt, frustrated, mad, embittered, but they're also brilliant and powerful. Black communities are brilliant and powerful in the sense that another world is possible, and despite everything the rest of us throw at them, they continue trying to build that world. It's up to us to join them. It would be a better world for all of us. We would be interdependent. Black people are building different kinds of financial institutions, building different kinds of businesses, different ways to make economic policy. 
different ways of managing public dollars, different ways of collecting, owning, and developing, managing real estates, different forms of business ownership, cultivating different partnerships to address historic patterns of disinvestment, finding different ways to manage wealth that's more equitable, using the power of public deposits to push for economic change, finding ways to counteract the divestment in marginalized communities. I could go on, but I'll say this. Since 2015, I, meaning Oscar, reported more than 400 stories on how people are responding to economic exclusion in cities, and 46% of those stories include at least one black source. Long before last night, African Americans and people of color have been out there doing more than peacefully protesting. They have been out there working to build a different world where everyone can feel safe. And we can join them. You can do it with your vote, your donation dollars, your investment dollars. Take your privileged pick. This is the blueprint putting ourselves into it in a way that makes us vulnerable rather than trying to take out from the world the things that would give us everything we need as an individual. And I'm going to rejoin Fred Small in his sermon. This is a vision of radical interdependence. Radical only because we so often forget it. This is the interdependence proclaimed by Dr. King when he wrote from Birmingham jail of the interrelatedness of all communities and states. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. We are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. Well, this week there have been riots starting from Minneapolis to LA to elsewhere. And there was a business owner whose shop was looted downtown in Minneapolis last night. And as she was boarding up the, the destroyed place that had been there for about a hundred years, she took out some paint and she wrote a giant sign on the front of it that said, True peace is not merely the absence of tension, it is the persistence of justice. She could have looked at herself as the victim of circumstance and been angry at the perpetrators who had destroyed her property and taken away her livelihood. But she also recognized that Harambe attitude. She's part of a community, a community that has been hurting, that has been ignored, that has been silenced for too long. And she took a stand and made a statement and became part of the solution. Elsewhere on Twitter that same night, I saw a divisive message spread by a bot account, probably from outside the US, with an angry meme meant to divide us. It had no followers, it didn't follow anyone, it never tweeted before, the account was just created that day. But its message was that we were a threat to tyranny elsewhere. We may not be perfect, but we certainly make many other countries that are worse than us look bad for what we've been able to accomplish in this very imperfect country so far. And real people, whose views differ from mine, started carrying that message to each other and latching onto it. Because it's much easier to sit at home and risk nothing and share angry messages than it is to go into the street and say something that means something to people that will bring us together. 
Peacemakers are not going to blindly follow messages that just make them feel better. If I want to see peace in society, then we need to work on peace in the community. And if I want peace in my community, then I have to be loving and knowing and helping the people on my block, the people within my reach, starting with my neighbors. And if I want to be able to know and love my neighbor, I need to work on my own family. And for that, I need to work on myself and being spiritually grounded and have the moral courage to do hard things, even in the moments of my own despair. And that is why I continue to do this podcast. If you would like, you can sign up, subscribe to the Living Prophets podcast, find us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, or just Google Living Prophet Podcasts. Thank you, and be safe, and wear a mask. Until next time. by those stronger than me straight into the face that tells you to rattle your chains uh, if you love being free uh.